I'd like to thank all you fans for making my first season a memorable one. Chicago is a great hockey town, and I look forward to being a part of it as we build a winner here. Seabrook holding, shooting one, he scores! Oh, Seabrook with a huge hit, and Backus is down. Seabrook comes, and he scores! Hawks win! Hawks win, Brett Seabrook! Back ahead comes Seabrook with a shot, and he scores! Welcome into a very special, kind of kind of somber, I don't know if somber is the right word, maybe that's a little heavy, but definitely a bummer of a Musings on Madison episode here on the Second City Hockey Podcast Network. I'm your host, Dave Melton, site manager here at Second City Hockey, and the reason we've gathered this evening is because of the news that came out Friday morning involving Brent Seabrook essentially retiring. They didn't use the word retirement because they're going to put him on LTIR for the rest of his contract, yada, yada, yada. But essentially the point is Brent Seabrook's last game in a Blackhawks uniform has been played and his hockey career is over. And I've, we've done a little bit of a line blunder going tonight. Um, so a shout out to the Joe Quinville era that Brent Seabrook was so much a part of. And we've got some uh, shuffling of the line mates going on this evening. So first off, I have one of the usual guys with me and he is to sh- uh, he is the Silverstein, or he is the Second City Hockey. What Shane told is the Silverstein. It is Mill Savage. Shout out Verona Records and Shane told Ontario baby. <laughs> well, it's good. It's good that I picked a Canadian band. I'm glad I picked a Canadian band. Tonight. Perks perfect. Although more Eastern Canada than Western Canada. But True. also with us this evening, making her musings on Madison debut, and she's responsible for r- roughly 50 to 75% of the gifts you're going to see in the Second City Hockey comment sections. It is Betsy, aka LBR. I do love a really good gift. Okay. Not yes. going to lie. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm also team gift. And actually, if you go to the Second City Hockey website right now, there is a lengthy, lengthy series of gifts that you posted that are just delightful. Well, Delightful and sad at the same time. Um, there's also a there's also a really hilarious picture that it looks like Jesus hugging a random child, and they really look a lot like Keith and Seabrook. So um, there's there's a lot of good stuff there, and it kind of it's like the combination of it puts a smile on your face, and then like, oh, that's I think the general mood that everyone is feeling today. Um, so we're recording this just before Friday night's uh, Blackhawks game against the Lightning, which we can deal with the present Blackhawks later. Uh, right now, it's kind of all about flashing back to everything that Brent Seabrook, um, all of the moments, all the memories, and just kind of every all the impacts that from a fan perspective of what he brought to the Blackhawks during his decade plus with the organization. So Mill and I talk way too much on these shows already, so we're going to go to Betsy first and just your initial reactions and thoughts and everything to the news about Brent Seabrook. Um, okay. So let's start out with saying that I got to meet Brent Seabrook when I was like 15, maybe um, at one of those like fans get to meet, like I got to go up during one of the like game shuffle kind of things that they do. And I was a okay. kid, so they like pushed me forward <laughs> Um, I was a cute kid. I had like a cat shirt on, which I think also they really liked. So I got pushed the forward and everybody was really nice. But Brent Seabrook did something that I thought was very like just wholesome. He like knelt down because I was short for a 15 year old. I still am. But he kind of like knelt down to talk to me and was like the sweetest guy ever. So I've kind of been have like a hero crush on him since then. Okay, so and that was... I don't know the first couple of seasons that he was with the Blackhawks. So 
yeah, a little bit of hero worship that has never gone away. So it is a little heartbreaking for me. Um, he was, I don't know, I always really liked how he played on the ice too, but gosh, he was such a big presence. He was such a like force for the team that, for, for the team and the fans, that it kind of hit hard, especially since up until right before the season started, all we'd been hearing was good news about how his mm-hmm. recovery I mean, there was this big lengthy thing about him right before the bubble where he was skating and it was great. And he was feeling the best that he had ever felt. And you just were like, as a fan going, I want him to get better. I hope Mm -hmm. that he makes it back to the ice, not just for himself, but for the team. I thought that would have been such a cool comeback story. Even if he wasn't great, even if he was still just a bottom pairing defenseman replacement level, whatever, just him getting back there would have been such a cool thing. So it was like a blow this morning because I hadn't really I got that it was probably going to happen but it wasn't mm-hmm. like really sunk in yet so, I think yeah. when the it was a f- like first or second day or I think it was the first practice for this shortened season when he came back and like the first day he tweaked something with his back and went right back to injured reserve and yep. that's when kind of the red flag went up that like I don't think he's ever coming back I mean and you, you touched on it there a little bit Betsy but he underwent three operations in like six months. It was three months. Three months. Yeah. Which is ridiculous. This guy's a professional athlete and he did all that. And then by the summer, he was on the ice skating at practice, getting ready for the postseason. Now, ultimately he didn't play. Uh, He said his body wasn't adjusting correctly. It was kind of foreboding to what happened now. But if like, if that is not indicative of the intangibles that Brent Seabrook can possesses and I don't understand why people cannot at least find a modicum of respect for the amount of just just everything that he dealt with like anybody else could have retired before the first of those three operations but he went through all them and then worked his way back into shape that he was at least practicing or attempting to practice and attempting to play a professional sport again and that is a mind-boggling amount of perseverance that is probably the reason why he was an NHL athlete for 15 years. Yeah. And I think you have to give amazing credit because there's going to be a lot of people that are going to be like, well, why didn't he get the surgery sooner? Well, he said it himself. He was like, my, the point of me was to get out there and play every game as much as Mm -hmm. I could. Every season was to get back into shape, ready for game shape for that season and go for the cup. That's what they were going for the whole time. So he kind of let his body, he like pushed it to the side a little bit, the, these like little tweaks that were coming up in there right? Um, and just battled through them instead. And we have to give credit for that. Even if, even if now it's sad that it's like, it hit him so hard so quickly, but man, that's just a warrior and you, you can't do anything but give props. Yeah. I like that's, there's a, like when I put all that together, like I hadn't really thought about it at all, but that just kind of in awe of that, having the guts to do all that because I, a lot of guys, especially he was getting, not getting any younger. He was already well into his thirties at that point to, to deal with all that and come back was just, I mean, we're, we're going to go farther down memory road than just the last year uh, as we get into this conversation. But uh, before we do that, I wanted to switch over to Mill and get some of his thoughts about this whole situation. You know, it's, it's funny. Like, I kept seeing all the posts of like 15 years mm-hmm. and first of all, it makes me feel old, but, uh, Oh, secondly, just wait, buddy. It only gets worse. 
Yeah. But secondly, you know, I think 15 years ago, so 05, 06 was a huge year because the NHL comes out of the lockout. They change the two-line pass rule. The league starts to change. Crosby comes in, Ovechkin. And really, that was the year, the, the anchor year for the Hawks, for Seabrook and Keith to be rookies. And those are the first guys we really got to see, you know. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, I, I've seen, like I told you earlier, I saw him play every year in person of his career. And that it kind of like people are going to remember these Hawk teams for Hosa and Taves and Kane and Crawford and everything. But like Seabrook is kind of the anchor to everything. Mm-hmm. And yeah. it's, it's really like It hits you hard. You knew this day would come, but it, it's like, damn, like, you know, he was 18 when they, when he started playing. Mm-hmm. So it, it's, it's tough. I mean, I'm kind of emotionally like, not sure how to feel. I'm, I'm happy for him to wrap up a great career. Uh, I'm sad for myself and for all of us because <laughs> it's just, it's like the end of, it's kind of a bookend, you know? Yeah. It's like, it, it's chipping away at this team that in this core that we've watched for the last 10 to 15 years, watch it get assembled and do things that no other Blackhawks team had ever done before. And now it's like, it, it, like you, it's always kind of been present that they're not what they used to be. Like you can just right. tell that by the on ice performance, the record, what have you. But it's just like little by little, as pieces start chipping away, like uh, Marion Hosa retiring, and then Crawford retiring, and Sharps retired, and Quinville's in Florida. All these pieces that were all these like nice warm blankets that they were at least always around. All these pieces are going away one by one now, and now like you've got Kane and Keith left, and Taves hopefully comes back soon, but you're quickly running out of ties to that era of Blackhawks hockey. That was so much fun. And just so you were like, just so immersed in, in everything about the the players that brought you, and the, all these players that brought you so much joy. And now it's just kind of this realization that, Oh shit, this is really the, they're, they're playing the last song or two. Like this, this is running out and, and time time's catching up us on, on in more ways than one, but the time on this particular chapter of Blackhawks history is uh, is starting to run out, which is really a bummer. And I yeah. I, I, I I can try, and I, I think for age age wise, I think we're roughly in the same five to ten age year bracket. I was when they drafted Seabrook in '03. I was sixteen, so I kind of grew up with all this Blackhawks team. Like Seabrook is a few years younger than or a few years older than me. So is Keith. Taves and Kane are a year younger than me. So I've kind of aged with them. And so like seeing them all retire, granted, I'm nowhere near retirement, unfortunately, but, um, but seeing them like kind of end this part of their careers is, is is like, Oh shit, I'm old. And it's, it's also just like, I kind of touch on what I mentioned earlier, just that it's this, this whole group of Blackhawks that I grew up with is not, the same anymore and it's largely gone and that 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 that's the realization that's setting for me that kind of like ugh. father time's kicking kicking our asses again yeah see dave you're a little older than me i'm about a week older than brandon sod so that means good things for me right <laughs> <laughs> but i also want to the to pit, uh piggyback off of what betsy said i never met brent seabrook personally but there, like, word gets out about the way players are behind the scenes. I think just among fan bases, among season ticket holders, and stuff like that. I never heard a bad story about Brent Seabrook, ever. 
And it was usually stories like the one that Betsy told where it's just like, he went out of his way to be just polite or kind or, or whatever. Yeah. I had to look, I probably looked 12. Like I was really (laughs) short and I had, I'm pretty sure I was wearing pigtails. I could find the picture. Um, but it was very, very sweet. I, him on his knees were like just a little bit shorter than me. Like it was, (laughs) that's how little I was, but I, I've met a couple of hockey players. I live, you know, like when we moved to Atlanta, we went, we got Nashville, um, not Nashville, uh, Thrashers tickets. And then when the Thrashers, yeah. When the Thrashers left, um, we started going to Nashville more often. So I've been able to meet fan like of other teams, like players of other teams, a lot more than Hawks, Mm -hmm. but some of my family still lives in Chicago. So I've gotten to go back a couple of times, but I've never met anyone that made me feel the way that Brent Seabrook did in that one moment. And it might just be because I was so young and it was the very first time, but it was really special to me. And I, I've heard nothing but that type of story from him period. I know there are Mm -hmm. others from all kinds of players, but yeah, Brent Seabrook has a very special place to me. And I think a lot of fans because of that, he's just such a cool guy. Yeah. And I I think that's, story this this common uh commonality of stories like that is part of the reason why Seabrook was so beloved among so many people within the fan base the people that maybe didn't know him personally but at least like met him enough times to get an idea of his personality had nothing but great things to say about him um yeah and I think too like because we're all analytics people well like obviously you guys probably know more than I do but there's that weird like intangible when it comes to leadership and mm-hmm. just being that kind of guy in on the ice and off. And I think Seabrook, I, like I, I said in the, in the chat, Seabrook could have been a captain on a lot of teams and may have been oh, the captain sure. here if it wasn't for Jonathan tapes. Well, that, that was the, that was always the, uh, among any of the media reporters that were around the team all the time, that was always kind of the thing was like Taze is the guy out in front doing all the, all the press and doing all the, you know, he he's all the things that a captain of a team requires, but the guy who's really running the ship behind the scenes was always Brent Seabrook. Yeah. And that might be a product of the, the era that they played in because it's not mm-hmm. like, you know, the last time the Habs won he fucking Carbono was the captain or whatever. It's <laughs> like, you can't do that nowadays, but yeah, totally. And, and also too, like, like LBR's story is so, it's it's personal but you hear it about seabrook that kind of stuff and mm-hmm. it shows you like you can you can never take that moment away from somebody and it has a long-standing effect on them and it's nice to have players who can appreciate a, a couple what a couple minutes can do for somebody and and this is where I, I i've been trying to find the words to put this all together in my head and if i figure it out it's going to be something written at second city hockey but the way that people talked about Brent Seabrook towards the end of his career really, really started to bother me. Like, I, I hate that we now treat athletes like commodities, like take the humanity out of it completely. And and just like, I, I, I think I muted the phrase Seabrook contract on Twitter because I was so sick of hearing about it, so sick of reading about it. Everybody knew it wasn't great for the team. It wasn't Seabrook's fault. They just threw a bunch of money at him and he said, okay. And he's going to get all of that money. And I'm very glad he's going to get all that money because he deserves it all. But it, it just, it seemed, it was so, I guess, disrespectful the way, like the way people would talk about Seabrook. Yeah. He got, he got older. He wasn't as good as he used to be. They probably shouldn't have given him all that money, but none of that was Seabrook's fault. 
And I didn't understand the lengths to which people would go to bring up the contract or the frequency with which they would blame Seabrook for everything that was going wrong with the team. When a, it was of, he didn't do it. It was Stan Bowman's fault. And B he did everything he was supposed to for the first 10 years of his career and brought you more joy than few than many other athletes in Chicago ever have. So why can't you just shut the fuck up about his contract? Like at some point, just let it go already. We understand it's not great. That And there's a way to be far more eloquent about that. But I just, I didn't, I didn't appreciate the way people so thoroughly hammered on that contract for a guy who did everything he was supposed to. I, I, I just, that, that part will forever bother me. Well, like, also, he was playing hurt too. Sorry. Yeah. yeah. No, you're, you're exact. I was about to say the exact same thing. I was like, it's kind of like the Bickle situation, but like extremely like blown up because, you mm-hmm. know, obviously Brent Secret was even more valuable than Bickle was. But it's like, yeah, we knew the Bickle and Seabrook were both trailing off. We knew it was happening. We didn't know if it was age related or wear and tear related. We knew both of them had been hurt and all this other stuff. And then you find out later that Bickle had MS and you're like, okay, now do you guys feel shitty? Cause you should, <laughs> yeah. you know, like I want to put up a mirror and say, I hope you feel like crap. Yeah. And kind of the same way with Prince Seabrook. I'm sitting here going, look, you know that he had a bad back. We had that story. Um, I can't remember if it was 2014, 2015, where they said they, they pretty much had to backboard him onto the plane at one point. Like there was a point where he had to be like backboarded so that his, his back wasn't jostled during the flight. And yeah. you're sitting there thinking like, these guys put their bodies through torture to you know get themselves success but they're also sharing that with you as fans you know Mm -hmm. us as fans so like take some pride in that and don't like rip them apart so much and I think we'll see like a lot of more flowery language about him like there'll be it'll be softer now at least hopefully um but yeah I was yeah I was bitter during that time too and and then as soon as he retired like all the we had a few questions on Twitter and, and I actually had a buddy text me like what are they going to do with that cap space? Like, dude, I don't give a fuck about this cap space right now. Like, Brent Seabrook There's nothing they need to do. Yeah, what, they yeah. already had cap space. Yeah, I, like, I, I don't care. Like, this, this sucks. Right. Something about Chicago, not generalizing all Chicago fans, but a, a lot of Chicago fans, it's like they'll just throw stuff at the wall and shit on anybody. They, this, you know, the phrase they would have pardoned Barabbas over Jesus kind of applies there where it's like, <laughs> could it be – could it be Jonathan Taves or Corey Crawford or Jay Cutler or anybody take your pick from the Cubs or Sox. Mm-hmm. It's Derek Rose, what, whatever it is. It's like, you, you have the right to your opinion. I'm very opinionated on, on sports, but it's like, like you said, Dave, just let it go. Like it's the contract just, is not the problem. Yeah. Just, just have like, like just a level of like appreciation for everything he did. Like that, that's John all. McDonough that's was just like a little bit of restraint in your criticism. Just a little, like there, you can treat, you don't have to, it doesn't just have to be like a commodity. You can factor in the fact that, Oh, Seabrook's been really cool for like 10, 15 years. And yeah, it sucks now, but oh. well, let him go be with his three kids and his wife and his fam- extended family. And, and every you know, enjoy of that $38 million contract or whatever the hell he signed. I'm, I'm, that was my, when I saw that I get essentially the way, from my understanding with him on LTIR is uh, this, the money doesn't go against the Hawks cap hit, but he still gets it. So I'm like, Hey, more power to him. Yeah. And I'm not, I'm not saying that when they signed that I liked the contract, but I think for me, it's like, if you're 
Stan Bowman or I think McDonough had his hand in that a little bit too. If you are going to sign him to that contract, then you need to be on him about taking care of his health. Yeah, well, I mean, maybe maybe they could have sent him to the operation room a year or two earlier and maybe he wouldn't – would have, could have should and all that. But Yeah, yeah, that, but you know where I'm going. It's like exactly. you can't really shit on him. Also, just think about when it happened, though. It was like right after the third cup when literally they – they had lost the bottom pairing defenseman. It was just the big four going. And mm-hmm. Seabrook was playing 27, 28 minutes in that last, like, however many games, like, every other game um, yeah. in the Stanley Cup final. And he was a big force of winning that third cup. And if if they hadn't signed him, fans would have spit all over Bowman. Oh, yeah. oh like, there would have been a mutiny. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, and you guys <laughs> remember – and I was just going to say that the, the actual cap hit was the exact, almost the exact same percentage of the cap as his original one. So it's, he actually wasn't taking up any more space. It's just that because he was older, he probably should have been taking up a little bit less. But still, I mean, God, it was so annoying. Yes. You guys remember the beginning of the 15-16 season? Keith got hurt for like a 7 or 10 game stretch and Seabrook played really well and carried even then. Mm-hmm. I mean, I... I it's not that his play wasn't there. He always knew what he needed to do. It's just his body couldn't keep up with it. That's the yeah. thing. He was never a bad player. It was yeah. physical. It was. Yeah. He played over twelve hundred games. <laughs> I went to his postseason. Like it, it, it just he and 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 a lot of the, some of the most brutal, grueling hockey games. Yeah, I mean, how many overtimes? Yeah. Exactly? Did he play in the playoffs? Which would still be going if he hadn't scored the goals. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Totally. Um, well, I, I went to game one, number 1000 for him when they do the silver stick and all that. Yeah. And I was openly weeping in the 300 level in the during the highlight package. So tonight's going to be even worse, probably. Yeah. Well, he's uh, apparently Ed Olchick's going to interview him during the first intermission, which when this podcast goes live Saturday morning, everybody hopefully will have seen it. But uh, yeah, uh, I just wanted, wanted to get this on the record. So the last game of Brent Seabrook's career was December 15th, 2019. The Blackhawks won five to three. You probably remember this game as a Patrick Kane hat trick against the Wild. Uh, Brent mm. Seabrook skated 1838 plus one, one shit. shot on goal. Yeah, yeah. All that. And then he had, and then um, within the next three to four months, he had three surgeries because <laughs> his body Ugh. was falling apart. Jesus, what a, what a goddamn hero. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to dub the rest of this podcast the, Brent Seabrook story or, or, Hey, do you remember that Brent Seabrook moment? Mm-hmm. Uh, so, and we're just going to go until for the next five, 10 minutes before the, uh, the Hawks game gets uh, about ready to drop this evening. And uh, I'm going to start, I'm going to be the, uh, the hack and start with the, the Red Wings goal in 2013 in the Western conference semifinal, because that's always the number one story. And I, I was thinking about that goal earlier today. And I think I settled on Brent Seabrook got to score the goal that you grew up dreaming of scoring as a kid playing hockey in your driveway. Right? Like yeah. game seven overtime against the Red Wings. He to send them to the Eastern Conference. To banish them to the Eastern Conference where they will never get out of the basement, apparently. Um, <laughs> I <laughs> and just the the gift that always goes around of when he got mobbed by his players and because he's six two, six three, however tall he was his head sticks out the top 
and he just has this look on his face of just euphoria. And that that gif will, I think, forever be my favorite Brent Seabrook moment. Like the goal is cool and amazing and everything else, but like just the because the look on Brent Seabrook's face is what I was feeling in that exact moment. Um, so Betsy Mill, floor is yours. Whatever, whatever Brent Seabrook moments you want to reference here, um, we could probably do this for a while, but let's let's just get going. Well, if we're gonna go from goal to like the intangibles, then you have to go directly to that same series where he went into mm-hmm. the penalty box with Taves. Everybody mentions it as the turning point. They were down 3-1, or we're about to be down 3-1. I think they still lost that game. But, you know, back-to-back penalties for Taves and Brent Seabrook, and, you know, skates into the thing, pats his head twice, says something, like, you know, we need you, whatever. And it was such a moment. It was such a, like, who does that? Like, when else do you see players go into the penalty box to give their own captain or any player a pep talk? Mm. And Brent Seabrook did it, and it was such a cool thing. And then the fact that they just flipped it around and then he capped it off with that goal, ah, just it was poetic to me, I think. Yeah. Mel, what's yeah, one's on I, your mind? I think you guys hit on two of the bigger ones, and then there's obviously the, the goal he scored against Boston, the 6-5 to five game. But something I was thinking about, because I remember watching this game so vividly, was in uh, the beginning of the 0809 season, they went down 5 nothing to Calgary in the first. Oh, yeah. And, and yeah. they climbed back and won, and Seabrook scored the goal in overtime yes, to win 6-5. to five. And uh, I think, who fucking fought Jerome McGinley? Was it Eager, maybe? Somebody had a fight with Jerome McGinley and got their you ass keep, kicked. Keep but, talking, I'm going to look that up. But uh, it was just like, that was the year after they missed the playoffs by three points but we knew they were special and they were coming. And when you saw like, that's what championship level teams do. They climb out of those types of games where they maybe, you know, and, and I don't want to put too much on last night's game. Cause that's not exactly what happened. But <laughs> when you're a great team, you can play like shit, but you can find a way to win. Mm-hmm. And yeah. you see it in a lot of different sports. And I, I think, feel like they, you know, they didn't play well. Calgary was a pretty good team that year. They ended up playing them in the first round of the playoffs, but Seabrook like kind of it just feels right when he kind of caps it off with the overtime winner in a game it's happened a few big times and that's one of those where it was one of the earlier important ones where I was like oh wow like this stands you know it's still in my brain just the way he looks firing fucking from the point yeah uh, that that was another one of those games that kind of it, it just it was another r- reminder as that that there's something happening here uh, Troy Brower was the guy that fought, fought Jerome. Brower. Yeah, because he asked him, uh, again, like, goes, you want to go? <laughs> I love uh, Jerome again, love for that. <laughs> I just thought of another one. I had the pleasure of, well, I, I don't know if pleasure is the right word, but I was at the the playoff game in St. Louis when Seabrook almost decapitated David Backus behind the net. Wakey, so th- wakey. I, this is this is a little bit meatballing on my half, so I'll, I'll apologize, but and and Bacchus had a concussion and it was like, it was a good clean hit. Bacchus's head just unfortunately was in a bad spot and it knocked him he out for a few that. games, but there was <laughs> exactly, there was something like the blues were so goddamn annoying with that era of blue of blues hockey with Bacchus and Alex Steen in the most punchable face in NHL history and Barrett Jackman. Does they have Max and Lapierre? They did for a while. And then Oshi was there before yeah. he like became like, decent you know yeah so they had they had all these guys that were so obnoxious and they this was before they'd won a cup so they hadn't won shit and they would always run their mouths and all these little 
after the whistle nonsense against the Hawks. And when Brent Seabrook almost put David Backus into the 10th row, there was something oddly satisfying about that for me. Now being at that game and I was, there was a, I was at the end where the Hawks shot once all the other Hawks fans were smart. We're at the end where the Hawks shot twice. I was never con- more convinced that 15,000 people were about to kick my ass because there was palpable anger in that building. Um, but yeah, Brent Seabrook leveling David Backus was just mwah, chef's kiss. I mean, sorry, yeah, you, you I'm know, sorry, but no, I love it. <laughs> it's not that meatball because you never want anybody to get hurt. But David Backus is a guy who's going to draw hits like that because he's such a prick. <laughs> <laughs> but did you have another story while we're going around? Um, the campfire I've got, so I've gotten to witness the two coolest things I've ever gotten to witness was Patrick Kane's um, hat trick in 2009 playoffs. Oh, uh, that game. So it was. Jealous. So cool. And I got to see uh, Seabrook score the triple overtime winner in against Nashville in 2015. That was a big one too. Yeah. Um, and it was like, I just, it was so long. It took so long. I remember it was the longest game I had ever been at. Um, and there were people falling asleep. It was, I don't think it was as long as like, I can't remember if it was as long as the Boston game was later, but, or before. And I was just like, when is this going to end? And then, there was like every time Seabrook touched the puck for like that last overtime, people were like, it was like noticeably like, oh, oh, you know, and I think mm-hmm. it was it was so beautiful. And it was just another one of those moments where you're like, yeah, it's Mr. Overtime, you know, mm-hmm. um, that's who, who that's who he is. Mm-hmm. You know, we, like you were saying, the whole intangible thing. Well, clutch performance is a real thing. We know that it's a, a thing that happens. We don't know how to quantify it yet. Not really, but we know certain players have it, and Hubert mm-hmm. had it. I don't know if, like, don't get me wrong, there are ways to try to. I don't know if we can quantify every intangible just because it's hard to give a number to certain things that happen on the ice. Like, we know they happen and why, but it, you know what I mean? It's it's weird. Right. But Brent Hockey's Seabrook, weird. absolutely. It's like, it's almost like you want to say he just had that mojo. Like, he didn't get nervous, he just kind of played the game and kept a level head. And I think he, that's why he was a good leader is he kind of was like, Hey, just, you know, chill out. We'll get through it. Mill, do you have a, another story? I've got, I've got one more that I can uh, bring up. So if you got another one, as we're going to uh, pass it around um, here, um, you go ahead and then I'm, I might toss something out. Okay. This, this was a game. This goes way back. Um, December 23rd, 2007, I was in college c- coming home. This was the year that Mill referenced where the Hawks, Made a late run, but fell short of the playoffs. But I, I was home from college, and I talked my dad into taking us to the Hawks game that night. Um, and I think I promised him, like, oh, we can get, like, $8 tickets if I give my student ID. But the Hawks <laughs> were starting to come alive, so they didn't. They sold out of those tickets. I think we had to pay, like, 25 each, which was a problem because I was one of five kids. But anyway, that <laughs> – Whoops. Yeah. That was um, – that was one of the first games like that I had been able to see. Cause I was, I went to college down in central Indiana. So I came back and I walked in and the building was packed and I, I like that didn't happen uh, at all. It felt like before that. Um, so like you walked in and you knew the building was there, there was something about the energy in the building that night. Uh, there was, they played the Oilers. It was tied at too late. First, uh, second minute of the third period, guess who scores the game winning goal? Brent Seabrook because of course it's Brent Seabrook in a clutch situation secondary assist to Petri Contiola by the way um he he scored two goals that <laughs> night but the like the enduring memory was after that game because it was two days before Christmas 
they did the they came back out or they did the crowd salute that night and i swear that was the origin of the crowd salute for the like what they still do after games and after they did the crowd salute the players came back on the ice and were just chucking gear into the crowd sticks gloves like i thought i saw a helmet go into the crowd like they were just it was christmas so they were just giving stuff away and i remember seabrook was the last guy off the ice just throwing every piece of equipment he could into the seats because and it was that was another one of you referenced that game against calgary mill that was another just kind of defining moment of something is happening here and it seems like it's going to be a lot of fun and uh brent seabrook scored two of the goals that night so there's that yeah did you, did you come up with that well, you know, last thing I just want to say, because we're talking about this kind of era and Betsy, I don't know if you, what time, when you moved, but you, if you weren't around in the area, you wouldn't have got these ads, but when they started putting Hawks home games on TV again, they were running these commercials. So Dave, you might remember them. Potentially. And they, and there was the one where it's like the biscuit soda one where they're having to pass around a pop. And I just like, it was so stupid, but I'm it's like him and. I'm going to look this up later because there's one. Is that the same line of commercials where they're passing around the TV or remote and Taves goes, hey, we could always watch my goal against Colorado it, again. Yep, it's that. Okay. And it's like so it's like one where it's like biscuit, soda, canner, pass soda, whatever. And have last yes. like yelling at Kane and with his broken English. And I'm just like, you know, that's 0809 is one of those type of teams where they didn't win, but you'll always have a soft spot for that team. Because they were building to something big. You could tell they were building to something bigger. And I think that is our hope for what the Blackhawks are doing now. And that's why we're hard on them. I want people to know it's because we want the best for the future. It's like we, we love we, them. Yeah, exactly. It's like your kids. You don't want to, you know. We love them to a degree that is potentially unhealthy. And, <laughs> and when they announce their retirements, we are more affected than we should be. Yeah, I mean, the... If, did anybody listen to the presser? Because he got, you could tell he was a little emotional. And I was like, I'm not yeah. going to I was following the quotes on Twitter. I couldn't, I just, like, I, it's, it's too, it was too sad. Like, it, I mark, a, like, there's a lot of athletes now that are starting to retire that I felt like I, quote, grew up with. Um, like, all the Black, like, we've lost several of the Blackhawks, but also going back to, like, Brian Urlacher and Peanut Tillman and uh, Paul Canerco, Mark Burley, like, guys like that, like, it's it's kind of a reminder that all your childhood heroes are getting old, which means you're getting old. So, um, yeah, boy, that's kind of a bummer of a note. That's okay. We can <laughs> we can end on uh, that. Everybody should you know go eat their fruit and crap tonight. <laughs> yeah, good night rest. Absolutely. That's the greatest quote I think Prince Hubert has ever said. Crap. I mean. I yeah, I think I'm going to be watching a lot of Blackhawks highlights from the from the golden years after the Hawks game tonight. And hopefully uh, I did that this afternoon and I started tearing up. Yeah. I had to work all day, but uh, yeah, that, that's on the docket this evening. Uh, any other final thoughts, Betsy and Mill? No, nope. uh, Betsy, thanks for being on Musings on Madison because you haven't been on yet and you should come on sometime more often. Yeah, I have a feeling that this, this summer, sorry, Betsy, you were, I was saying just invite me more. It's fine. Well, <laughs> we'll just leave Shepard at home all the time. That's fine. Uh, I think this summer. <laughs> well, yeah. We should just, I think this summer we're going to do a, I was at that game podcast and we will just go around telling stories of games we were at where cool things happened. Like I want to grill Betsy about the Patrick Kane hat trick against Vancouver, right? Yeah. That's because that's like top two or three favorite house games for me. I also saw a couple of uh, like really good Hosa goals when he was with the Thrashers and then he switched to the Hawks. Like 
I have a threat. My only Thrasher's jersey is a host of jersey. So I, I, uh, episodes coming for sure. Bet you'll appreciate it real quick. I have a Thrasher jersey. I haven't lettered yet, but it's from the arena. <laughs> so is, there you go. All right. Well, I think if we're talking about the Atlanta Thrashers, that's a perfect way to, to wrap it up. Um, <laughs> Hell yes. Thank, thank you. Thank you very much for listening to this uh, abbreviated and uh, special edition of Musings on Madison. Um, we all hope Brent Seabrook is, is just continues to be the best for the rest of his life because he's brought us all uh, immense amounts of joy for the last 15 years. Thank you for listening to this episode. Visit secondcityhockey.com. We'll have a whole bunch of stuff there. For Mill, for Betsy, I'm Dave. Thank you very much for listening. And as always, in about 30 minutes, go home.